Matthew 19. So we're going to finish up our, our section, which it's, it's like, like I said, it's a parallel to what we actually have in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the portion in the Sermon on the Mount is actually just an ex- excerpt of Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, and also found in Luke and Mark, too. Uh, so going to Matthew 19 to getting the fuller teaching helps us to understand why he says what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. It just makes sense. We, we look, we have four different Gospels, three that are more similar than, than the other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are um, they're more of a chronological look at Christ and his work and his life. Uh, John is more of a robust theological understanding of uh, who Christ is as um, as Lord, as uh, the Son of God. Um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all very similar, and so we can see a lot of the same accounts in them. And so we're in Matthew 19. We looked over uh, this morning... God's intent for marriage. That was our purpose really this morning. And then touching on, just touching on this morning, the mess that we make of it, which falls into this topic of divorce. Um, And just a quick recap, not to bore you too much. God's intent for marriage, uh, first and foremost, uh, male and female, he created them. Um, Male... The man shall leave his father and mother. He shall abandon that relationship as far as it's his union, his connection. He shall leave it to the point that he is going to start a new family unit with one woman. And this relationship, this cleaving, this joining, this sticking together is exclusive between one man and one woman. It is intimate. They become one flesh. And it is life. It's long term. Um, and we spoke of this morning in Jesus' words, really uh, God's intent and in just a few words, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And as we know it in our vows, till death do us part. Um, this is God's will for marriage. This is God's design for marriage. Um, But we do get into this idea of divorce, this mess that we make of it. And this is where I want us to start this evening. So I want to read 7 through 9, and then we'll walk through it a little bit and tiptoe around a few things. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's more than one view on how to interpret divorce and Jesus teaching on divorce. Uh, so what I'm going to tell you, the way that I've studied it, the way I see it, but what I want you to do is not believe me, but study it for yourself as well. And if you see something different, let's talk about it. Anytime. And let's let's look at it together. Okay? Um, I have actually... 
I've actually learned a lot more. You know, you think you know something and then you realize you don't know it. And that's just the way we should approach Scripture. Uh, always willing and ready to one, learn, which then might be, if we're willing to learn and we had a position before, then we have to be willing to say, uh, I might have been wrong. And guess what? In our understanding of God and Scripture, we're probably going to say that a lot within our span of life. Because we're just finite people with brains that have a hard time seeing it the way it's supposed to be seen. And we come with an understanding, well, that's just the way I heard it when I was a kid. And so you read it, and that's how you read it. But as the Spirit opens our eyes, as we said this morning in our Sunday school lesson, uh, God will reveal truth to us in a way that we've never seen it. And it may be you've read that same passage a thousand times, and then one day it's like, huh, I okay, that's there. I see that now. And praise God for that. All right, so let's read seven through nine. Uh, I'll just read six just so it'll springboard us in there. So Jesus says, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse seven, they, the, the, the Pharisees, said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He, Jesus, said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Jesus says, And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And that last verse is really our portion that we have in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, just for the fun of it, let me read you what it says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So that it throws in a little bit different there. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Same concept, just worded slightly different. Okay, so Jesus says in verse 6, Wherefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So you want to know what God wants you to do in your marriage? There it is. That's it. Don't separate. Don't seek divorce. That's what he wants. Now, there's a lot that can go into that. There's a lot of what ifs and this and that and this. And I want to come back to this idea that God's intention for you in your marriage is to not divorce. Uh, so what happened? Why did Moses, they ask, why did Moses give this command for one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? Now, we got to stop for a second and let's look at it from a big picture. Why does divorce exist? And we touched on it this morning, but I want us to think about it 
from the perspective of Ephesians 2. So hold your spot in Matthew 19. Look at Ephesians 2. You probably know what it says, but I want to read it anyway. And as we read this characteristic in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, I want you to consider, kind of going back to the idea of agriculture or gardening, what you want really nice soil when you plant your plants, right? Because that's the way it's that's the way you're gonna get a good produce. Now imagine Ephesians one through three being the soil for marriage. Okay? Ephesians two, one through three, we want marriage to grow in this. Asterisk or let me preface. This is the state of all people outside of their outside of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is where marriage has to exist outside of Christ. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the works of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now, if your marriage was lived in the, the state that you are carrying out uh, the passions of your flesh, you're following and seeking the desires of your body and mind, how, how well of a spouse are you going to be? Well, no, ain't going to work. It, thank you. It won't work. Um, and if... Uh, and here's the thing. You got unbelievers who will be married for 55 years. And that's that's true. That happens. And praise God for that. But they're not accomplishing what God has called them to do, to do in their marriage. And I would be... Uh, it, it, we'd have to look hard for true joy. For true joy for people who are living outside of Christ. Um, but praise God if it happens and when it happens. But this, this, why divorce? Because of this. God's intent, let no man separate what God has brought together. Well, man's going to have a hard time to begin with. It's just like any other command. Don't steal. How you done on that one? Don't lie. How have you done on that one? All right, so we're already behind the curve. We're already in trouble to fulfilling... I turn the air back on. Um, to fulfilling what God has called us to in the institution of marriage. And you can just look at the world and say, huh, it ain't going to get no better. Right? So... In the big picture, they ask this question, you know, what, why, what's up with this divorce thing? Well, you, you're not, you're not going to make it. You don't have a chance. But that's not the excuse. That's not, okay, well then divorce is okay. No, no, we still stick to what Jesus has just said. What God has brought together, let no man separate. Right, so but then we get to their specific question about um, what happened with Moses. They ask this question: 
Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So, let's see what they're referencing to. And the only place that they're referencing is Deuteronomy 24. So go to Deuteronomy 24. This isn't a chapter that everyone's memorized, so it's good that we can go and read it. And I don't blame you because I hadn't memorized it. Deuteronomy, so um, were the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you get to Joshua, you've gone too far. We're in 24, verse 1. Now, as you're there, let me reread their question for you. Keep in mind their original question is, is it lawful to, to divorce one's wife for any cause? Any cause. Is that lawful, Jesus? But then when, he's, when he says, don't separate what God has joined together, they try, they're trying to press him and trick him. They're trying to use the law against him. But they don't actually do it right. They say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate? So Moses is commanding to give a certificate to divorce and as they put, to send her away. But look what, look what, this, there's not another reference in Scripture of Moses and a, a certificate of divorce anywhere. This is it. So you have to realize that. It's not like, well, maybe they were talking about something else. Well, if they were, it wasn't God's Word. It was just tradition passed along by man. This is it. This is where it's got to be. 24 verse 1. Now you tell me, if you get Moses commanding that they give a certificate of divorce so that a man can send his wife away. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, he, uh, if, he then, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. So let's... Not sure what your translations say, but let's just kind of look at some words here. Favor means like grace. Um, so when when the angel came to Mary, he says, "God has found favor towards you. God is God is uh, being gracious to you. He has delight. Not grace is in I've been saved by the grace of God, but in grace is in." I have delight in you. I have found favor in you. That's the kind of word we're talking about here. So if a man finds no favor in his wife because he has found some indecency, I think the King James Version says uncleanness. And that word is really weird. It's not weird, but it was interesting to me when I looked up, when I looked up the Hebrew definition. It referred to nakedness. So there's this idea of nakedness in the Old Testament was a big picture of shame. Consider Adam and Eve. They were naked. They were shamed. They hid. So some, there, there's this idea of shame. I don't know if it's connected to 
only sexual immorality or whatever it is, but there is something about, and it's written as the woman here, something about the woman that the husband finds and then therefore his favor isn't so much into her. Now this is the debate that these rabbis were having even before Jesus came along. Well, can it be because she had been looking at other men? Could it be because she, her cooking is bad? Like this is, that's literally the debate going back and forth. If she is doing something that is unpleasing to me, the Pharisees, I believe in their camp, says, Moses said I could get a certificate. I could go to the court, get a certificate, and send her away. All right? Well, the, the, the more conservative crowd is saying, no, 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 it, this, it doesn't work that way, right? So even, oh, let's just look at what he says. He's found some, in, uh, some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. So obviously Moses is allowing this. He's permitting it, and he's probably the one... You know, you get a certificate from the government. It's got somebody's signature on the bottom of it. He's stamped it and approved it to some degree or someone under him. Uh, he, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, context. When you read Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, well, anytime, you have to understand you cannot apply directly the concepts and principles that they had given to they have, that were written down three thousand years ago in that culture, and just paste them onto our culture, because in Deuteronomy twenty four, when a man sent out her, uh, when a man sent out his wife, that was like a death sentence. Women didn't work, women didn't have income, they didn't own land. They were nothing, especially in this patriarchal society where, the, where you are, like, your livelihood depended upon your father. When you got married and that man came to you and cleaved to you and joined you, you as a woman, your livelihood, your life, like, your next meal depended upon your husband. If he died, you better hope you had sons because if you didn't have sons... You're, you're out of luck. You're now what is considered poor, beggar, hungry. You could, I mean, you could die. That was the reality in this time in Deuteronomy 24. And it had changed a little bit by the time we get to Jesus, especially with Rome influence and, Greece inf and Greek influence. Um, but a, a woman, life depended upon her marriage so that she could just survive. So to send out a woman was a big deal, especially for the woman, right? So he says, you write, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, which I'll tell you, probably wasn't that often. If you had already been married in this culture, more than likely, you're done for. It's not like, oh, you know. Yeah. But, but then we get, but here's the interesting thing. Go read Ruth 
Go read the book of Ruth. And this really helps you understand this. Because Naomi, Ruth's um, mother-in-law, Ruth is Naomi's mother-in-law. Her husband died. Her sons die. And all she has is daughter-in-laws. So she's hopeless. So where do they wind up? They wind up traveling. They're like nomads traveling, traveling, looking for ways that they can work to earn food. And what do they do? Thankfully, Boaz lets Boaz, who is eventually David's King David's grandfather, I believe, or great-grandfather, uh, he lets them come and glean from the fields. So the men are working in the fields, and they've let the widows come in and pick up the scraps. And that's how they lived. And Ruth was the same way. But that now, now we're getting into the gospel in the Old Testament. We have Boaz, who is a bit of a redeemer for the sake of Ruth and Naomi. Because that wasn't heard of. That wasn't heard of for someone to look after someone else's wife. Right? So this is a big deal to send her out. And if she departs out of his house and she goes and becomes another man's wife, which not isn't always the case. Now it's where it gets confusing. Verse 3. And the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce. So he's found some reason to say, I don't, I don't have favor with you anymore. Which would seem like, okay, if there's an issue in the first one, there's bound to be an issue in the second one. I, I, just kind of thinking through it logically. And he sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, let's just say he dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband, the first husband, who sent her away, pay attention, may not take her again to be his wife. And she has, after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. So hold that in your mind. The first husband sends her away with a divorce, with a certificate of divorce. The second husband uh, sends her away with a certificate of divorce. He dies, or he dies. She, that first man, cannot take her back. And this goes to what Jesus says. If you divorce for any other grounds except for sexual immorality and remarry, you make the woman, or you make the woman an adulterer, and if you remarry, you commit adultery. That's what Moses is trying to get at here. He's trying to deter them from saying, eh, no, I don't like you today. Go away. Because I mean, imagine if this is the practice within this, within this community of not, of man just separating what God has joined together. And therefore, in the eyes of God, they are married still. Except on the grounds of sexual immorality which we haven't got to yet, but you, you have to kind of have to take that all in. So Moses, go back to what the Pharisees asked, then why did Moses write a command that they could write a certificate or make a command that they could write a certificate of divorce and send them away? He didn't. He didn't command anything. He created, somehow, he allowed is what the word is, or in, in, uh, in the Greek, he suffered it wasn't something he was proud to do. 
he suffered and allowed for divorce to take place. One, because he knew that it was going to make it more difficult for all this passing people around. And it was a deterrent. But two, Jesus enlightens us in Matthew 19. And he says, this is because of the hardness of your heart. Now, we have to keep in mind, Jesus is talking to... The context of Jesus' conversation is to men. He's talking specifically to men. And so I'm getting this image of these men who see it okay to remove the burden of a woman because they don't like her cooking. And they say, all I got to do is write a certificate of divorce and I can send her away. Let's make it a little bit more, take it a little bit more home. Or he found someone that is better appealing to the eyes. Or he just doesn't have a desire for her anymore. He's saying, men, if you are going to divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality to remarry is to commit adultery. And here's what he's saying. You sin. That's sin. You cannot do that. We just talked about adultery last week. Obviously, this is not something that's just willy-nilly before the Lord. So in this context of Jesus Christ, pushing against these men. And also, he says in verse 8, I'm going back to Matthew 19. Jesus says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Now notice something. Notice the time span of Moses and these men who are asking these questions. It was a lot of years. But Jesus says, notice his words, he doesn't say because of their hardness of heart, Moses allowed them to divorce. He said because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you. There is perpetual sin from the time of Moses even to these men. This was a practice that was taking place from Deuteronomy 24 to the time that Jesus was standing before these Pharisees. Same sin, same problem, and he's at it right now. And he's pressing against it. So, where does that, that leave us? Um, I think the send her away, to me, that really... The fact that they asked that question, the Moses command to get a certificate of divorce to send her away, it is a man not being a man. It is a man not fulfilling his duty given by God. So let's talk about it for a second. Let's talk about what a man should do in any case in the marriage, even sexual immorality. And let's take it in the context of Jesus' teaching. Jesus gives an exception to these men that if you divorce, because your spouse was sexually immoral, you have an exception. But what has he already said? 
What has he already said? No man. Yeah. Let no man separate what God has joined together. So there is a rule. That is it. The rule, there is an, Jesus gives an exception, but that's not what he, it's not, Jesus doesn't say, here, here's the exception, go do what you need to do. No, no, no. It's, remember the rule, please. Be a man. Blessed are the merciful. Not those who tuck their tail because they got their feelings hurt. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the ones who run away when there's trouble. Be a man. So I would say Jesus gives an exception. And to follow that exception is not wrong. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, it wouldn't be easy. It wouldn't be, yeah, she did that to me. I've got, I've got grounds for this. I'm out of here. The Spirit of God is not in that person. The Spirit of God would convict a man to say, I got to pray through this. I got to work through this. I got to try. Christ is merciful. I have been an adulterer towards my Lord and He has been faithful to remain with me. I have worshipped the idols of this world, yet He has not turned His back on me. That's what a godly man does. Not finds the exception, tucks tail and runs. He stands on the rock of Christ. He stands on the words of Christ and does not look for the exception. That's what a man would do. Now, in another, I believe it's uh, Mark, maybe Luke or both, Jesus refers to the woman and says pretty much the same thing to the woman. So women, same thing. There is the exception. But as a, a daughter of God, an elder brother of Jesus, don't tuck tail and run because something's been done wrong to you. So here, here's where you got to take this though. How hard do you think that would be? How hard do you think it would be to stick out a marriage where there has been infidelity? Some of y'all may have been there. Some of you may have experienced it. I know people who've experienced I know who people who've come out from it. I know people who, who buckled and crumbled under it and couldn't do it. This is where... This is where faith comes into play. You cannot take these, you cannot take what Jesus says, try to live it by white knuckling it, but trusting in what God has said and what God can do, and knowing that suffering produces endurance, like Romans 5 said. Endurance produces character. So imagine your marriage. Let's just put your marriage in that. For, those in, for the marriage that's are in Christ, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And so there's always hope 
when we're looking at it through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, that is the pretty much the basis of this passage. Um, but I'll, before I forget, within the, the part in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, again, this is based towards the man, that if you give your, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, get this, makes her commit adultery. Did you hear that? Every man who gives his wife a letter of divorce or certificate of divorce except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. A man's selfishness, lack of willingness to stick it out, to work it out, puts this ungodly burden upon the woman. And vice versa, as we see it in the other way. But we expect um, I want to put that pressure on the man. Okay? So Jesus' response, uh, and let me, I, I kind of got ahead of myself. If, if we're fighting through infidelity, if we're fighting to not uh, separate what God has joined together, we rely on faith in Christ, but we can also turn to one another. Let me tell you this. The hardest sin to get through becomes easier when you're vulnerable and honest with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's hard. That's really hard. Who else would you want to know? You want to hide your struggles and your fight from people who have access to the throne of grace of, of the, the throne of grace of God. And this is in, and this this goes to any struggles or sin we have. Well, it'd be hard. It's hard to confess to actual people because they might talk, they might judge, but that's not that's not your concern. That's their sin. But what we want to do is we want a family, we want a church home that if someone stood up tomorrow or next Sunday and said, I was unfaithful to my wife, I've repented to her, and I want to work it out, can you help me? I hope that we wouldn't look at him in shame. Or if a wife said, I've, ha I've been unfaithful with a man at my work, and I've confessed it, or I haven't confessed it, and I can't do it. We don't send them out the doors, we don't turn our back to them. We love them. If Christ would love them in, in their confession to him, who are we to turn away if they confess to us? 
we have to have an environment, a culture that says, if someone is willing to confess sin to us, we are willing to hear and love and guide. And that's, you know, we talk about church discipline. That's the beginning of church discipline. And that's not discipline, that's love. That's the big, if you're not taking, if those steps are not within our environment, then we can't truly have church discipline because then we're just a bunch of hypocrites. But we have to be people who know one another, love one another, are willing to acknowledge and to accept one another as we're all willing to acknowledge and accept our own sin. And then we get to call people to repentance because we love them. And in repentance, they're restored, they're renewed. But then if they don't, that's when we look at this idea of church discipline. That's when we look at well, whether or not they are truly repentant or have a heart of, of Christ. But it starts with our willingness to listen, to help, and accept someone who is wanting help. That's tough. And don't it don't happen. It don't happen. It's a very it's a it's a rare jewel. And it's one reason why churches aren't churches these days. Because of the hidden sin that no one one is willing to admit, or two, the other one is not willing to call out. And that's all because we love each other. Why we would want to admit it, or two want to call someone out in it. Not to run them out, but to run them to Jesus. Okay? All right, a few things, just in a way of thinking through. Because it's in the back of my mind as I think about divorce, as I think about bad marriages. Um, there's another exception in the Bible. Did y'all know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll just quickly tell you. Paul says if there's an unbeliever and a believer who are married... And the unbeliever says, I'm out of here. The believer is freed from their obligation and can remarry. That's the only other exception given in the Bible. Um, but then you start thinking about real life. And you start thinking about that lady who lives down the street who you see every other week with a black eye. And you think, well, what, what's she supposed to do? Hey, the, the way the world has gone, it could be the reverse. There could be a man who is living in hell at home. What are they supposed to do? Well, I can't give an answer for every situation as I sit up here today, nor could I be good enough or talk long enough to cover every aspect or every point. And this is why we have to stick to what, God had, what Jesus has said that God intended in marriage. Now hang with me. We always hold the rule that we do not separate what God has joined. However, we take, if there is any marriage or relationship where you feel like someone is in physical or even mental abusive danger, you come talk to me. Or you tell, you... You have a conversation with them. We're not going to tell them 
and say, well, Jesus said, unless there's sexual infidelity, you got to stick it out. But what we do is we carefully, cautiously, in bukus and bukus of prayer, in our scripture, in love, counsel and walk through, and this is, this is what has to be done. Don't twist my words and say, well, we can find an exception for anyway, as long as Luke says there's some sort of an abuse. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God is gracious and has given us means to work things through and to figure things out. But I also will say this, and this is where there might be some strife and contention and things that I'm saying on divorce right now. Jesus says, the only way you don't commit adultery in remarriage is if there is sexual infidelity. So, that's where we might kind of have to come to a conclusion of what is the godly way to have the godly thing to do if there is a divorce. So there's some options which aren't really realistic. Number 1, people can separate without divorce. Legal separation without divorce for the rest of their lives and never remarry. That's not really realistic. You're not going to see people do that. But people do make that suggestion. Because, again, Jesus said, if you divorce and remarry and it's not on the grounds of sexual immorality, you sin. There's the other option that people say you can get divorced but then just never remarry. Well, my question is, good luck with that. Because here's the problem. We as sinful people, a culture sinful, we think marriage is a privilege that everyone should just automatically have the right to. I, this is the way we think as human people. I have the right to happiness in my relationships no matter what. That's not really what God says. God's not saying, He's not promised anyone a happy marriage. He hasn't. He hasn't promised anyone anything as far as relationships go except for their relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. So, it gets real sticky. It gets real messy fast when you start thinking through the exceptions. So here's what we do. We live and prepare for the rule. Today, as you raise your children, you prepare them knowing that the rule is that Jesus said, that God said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That way, when these boys grow up, they, we don't have to sit through these sticky situations of trying to figure out, well, is this okay if they did it this way? We want to raise them up in the admonition of the Lord so that they know that when they it's time to marry, guess what they're looking for? They're looking for a Spirit-filled, Christ-loving young lady. And guess what? We pray to the Lord we never have to have that conversation. We, it, we teach, we love, we guide, even adults with one another in our marriages now so we don't have to come to the, the gray and say, how do we handle this? You're in a healthy relationship right now. 
then you be obedient to the command of husbands. If you're in a healthy relationship right now, you'll be obedient to the command to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And you won't have to be in the situation of knowing which, what you have to do. Wives, you don't want to go down that road. Submit to your husband and respect and honor him the way uh, God has called you to do. These, we take our roles as husbands and wives seriously as Christ has given them to us now in the good. Then we are veering away from trying to figure out what the exception is. See what I'm saying? We're living and teaching that we want to stay in the area of the rule. It doesn't always work that way. That's life. But that's our goal. To the call of what God has ordained in marriage. I hope that made sense. Um, I hope that made sense because we can never be perfect, but we know what we're called to. And if we're obedient to what we're called to, it's going to be a lot better than if we're lazy now. Because then it's just going to get messy later. Um, the, the, I've read many books that say you've got to know your sheep. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking these next three points, I know my sheep and I don't really need to go over them right now. Save you all some time. But let me just read them real quick and we won't talk about them. Here's the problems we have with divorce today. Here's why we are where we are today. Number one, a misunderstanding of God's purpose in marriage. It's not your happiness. It's not your satisfaction. It's the glory of God. It's to be one with someone who is after the glory of God with you. That's what we want. That's what our, that's what our purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. There's another purpose. Okay? We have to understand our purpose. Number two, our, our misplacement of priorities. It's God, marriage, kids. I've seen it go many other ways. Kids, God, marriage. God, kids, marriage. Marriage, I, it's God. Sylvia, please help me. What are you saying? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. God, marriage, kids. Right? But what happens a lot in our area is the marriage comes before God in the sense of real ha satisfaction and happiness. And they're like, well, I can't really, can't really do the right things for the kids if my marriage isn't right. So if I can get out of this one and get in the right one, then my kids are going to be good and then God's going to be happy and we're all going to... No. Don't work that way. Don't work that way. The Lord is our number one priority. Cultivating our relationship with our spouse is the next priority. You work those two things out. The kid part, still be hard, but you're on the right track. Right? That's the priority of marriage, within marriage. And number three, it's just simply going back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, therefore, whoever re relaxes one of the least of these commandments 
or teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For us to just look at the words of Jesus and go, eh, eh, that's hard. That's difficult. That's the other problem. And that's because, like we said this morning, if you don't have a high esteem of God, you won't have a high esteem of his words. And therefore, when he says, let no man separate what he has joined, you'll say, eh, not really worried about it. So those are the, those are the issues we see today. Uh, homework, read, read Ephesians 5.22 through the end of the chapter. Husbands, see what you're supposed to do. Wives, see what you're called to do. And let's, let's do that. Let's do that together. Um, and, and boys, start practicing. The way you love your mother is the way you're going to love your wife. Start practicing at home now. Love your mother the way Christ has loved the church, the way he has loved you, okay? Ephesians 5.22 through the rest of the chapter. All right, let's pray. Lord God, uh, we need you. Help us in being submissive to your word. Help us in not seeking um, our own selfishness. Help us not to look at the world and be guided. But Lord, show us the foolishness of the world around us and show us the wisdom that we find in Christ and Christ alone. And we thank you that we know that even when we fail, that you, by the blood of Christ, has justified us, redeemed us, and there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Place that on our hearts this week. Guard our hearts, guard our marriages, guard our families uh, for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a blessed week.